Well, good morning, LCM. Today is Sunday, July 3rd, 2022. And as some of your pastors, we want to tell you this morning how proud we are of you. Yesterday's wedding of Rhett and Gabrielle Phillips was a, it was a supernatural demonstration of God's sovereign ability to fulfill what he has promised. I'm sure that if Rhett were here this morning, we're 100% sure that he would inform us that he has rightly navigated the highway to the danger zone and needed neither Tom Cruise nor Kenny Loggins to do that. And no doubt, Gabby would want us to tell you in her own words, I've had the time of my life. <laughs> Yesterday was also a testimony of the kind of people that you are. You guys study the word hard. You worship hard and you dance really hard. Even when the heater gets stuck on and is pumping hot air into a, this building in the middle of July in Houston, Texas. Come on, man. You people didn't even leave the building when the heater was on. I got to tell you how much we love our church. Hey, don't you love the family that God has put us in? We love to spend time with each other. You know, in, in light of that, a wedding ceremony is such an incredible time for believers. We are able to see the sovereignty of God at work as he causes two lives to become one. That's the very thing that we witnessed yesterday. This unity is a beautiful sight to witness because it is a perfect reflection of his unity that he's building with us as his bride. You know what God is? God is a master builder. Knows all the plans, knows all of the technique that it takes to build what is perfect. And he's been doing some serious building in this church. He's been building our unity as a body. And here's how. You can see this in the way that real brotherhood is forming between the family members of this church. He's building our unity as teams are becoming more spot on in giving prophetic words to each other. And as each team is becoming ever more transparent with each other. Isn't that what's happening during our team unity meetings? Can you sense and see the evidence of unity increasing as a result of that? Well, God is also building our marriages. The ones that are as new as 24 hours old and the ones that are as refined and aged as 50 years along the way. And every age of marriage in between. God is building each family even as we are unifying as a body. He's building ministries in this house. And you can count on the fact that we will need that unity to achieve the work in the future that God has assigned us to. Church, we are getting to witness the very things that King David wrote about in Psalm 133, verse 1. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. We are feeling that presence right here as a part of this church. And the more that we are centering our lives to unify with God's commands, putting them into practice day in and day out. Somebody say day in and day out. Day in and day out. It is a certainty that opposition to our work will, in fact, appear before us. You know, like heaters getting stuck on in the middle of a wedding reception. Our responsibility is to get up and get to work. Yes. We got to get to work, get to the effort of putting into fact what God has given us to do as we build God's house together. Yes. 
Amen. So speaking of that, speaking of a building project, you ever been on a building project and run into a few snags, a few delays, doesn't go as planned? I mean, you have a few miscalculations. How about mismeasurements? That wall, My bad. that flooring, that foundation just isn't as square as you thought it was. Well, you get all that straight, right? You realign everything, make it plumb and more than some. And then you realize you have a lack of the right kind of material. Well, that's it there on your job site. So what do you do? You go to Home Depot, right? That's why we put our church so close to Home Depot by here. Well, you go to Home Depot and in these days you get there and you find out they also lack the material that you need. Problem compounds upon problem. Well, then how about this? You actually purchase the material you think you need, but when you begin to build, it's the wrong kind of material that you actually have to use. Can I get an amen about that? Well, all in all, it's one difficulty after another. And all you're trying to do is just make progress to see the work completed. You want to see it done so you can actually begin to use what has been built. Well, this is not to mention um, the intense and often frequent inclement weather that we have here in Texas. I do not mean nor'easters or blizzards. I'm talking about blistering heat that's 100 and plus whenever you're on top of a roof or working outside, period. The kind of heat that can sap you of all of the strength that you ever thought that you had. In fact, there's no need to go to the restroom when you're working in that kind of heat because your body expels every bit of moisture through your skin and your forehead. You come to a point where you're quite weary and you realize, uh, man, we just need to take a break. We just need to pause this for a minute. This is too difficult, too intense. We're not making progress as we should. There's all these difficulties and your flesh is screaming at you, just stop. Just stop. Just sit down. Go inside. Let's delay this for quite some time. We can kind of get our things together, regather our strength. But yet, that's something completely different than we see in the biblical model of how work is done. You want to know how to revive your soul and resurrect your strength? Yeah. yeah. Do you really want to know? The solution is to get up and get back to work. Come on now. That's what you're supposed to do. Come on, church. God said it. We do it. And we don't stop until it's done. Oh, yeah, that deserved a better amen. God said it. We get to doing it. And we don't stop until it's completed. See, there's going to be suffering and opposition that always tries to oppose you. And that's going to happen at every turn. Especially when you're doing something right. Especially when you're doing something for the kingdom. And we are learning as a church that without opposition and suffering... We cannot reach our end goal of being perfect. Yeah. Turn with us to Hebrews chapter 2 as we begin in the text today that we really want to point out some important things to you. We're going to turn to Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 10. And we're going to read together. It says this, in bringing many sons to glory. Yeah. Come on now. It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. What? Say that with me. Perfect, perfect through, through suffering. suffering. 
Church, we want to remind you that this is a house that is filled with many sons who are being glory bearers in your everyday life, and we love it. And we also want to tell you, even as sons who are glory bearers, it is fitting, it is right, yes. it is proper, it's actually glorious that God, God for whom we all exist and through whom we all exist, that this God the Father should make his only begotten son perfect through suffering. What an incredible thought for us to grasp here this morning. Now, you're going to be very familiar with the Greek word for perfect. If you've been here at any time at all, you know what this word is, but we have it on a slide to help you and remind you. The word for being made perfect here is teleo. Everybody say teleo. Teleo. Not the British uh, wave tally-ho, but this is teleo. This is a word that is translated into English as being complete or mature or perfect. It is to be made perfect by reaching the intended goal. Oh, come on now. It's going to bring to a full end. It is about you finishing the work and the duty that you have been assigned. This is an important word for us to grasp today. It's not going to be something that we mean for you to think about for one day in the future. We mean for us to contemplate, for us to get this truth down in our heart for today. Somebody say, Pastor, Pastor. I'm going to take this for today. So looking at this slide and coming back to the verse that Pastor Wade just read, let's put this in right context and wrestle with a few things. It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. So here's what we begin with. Jesus, was he the sinless son of God? Yes or no? Okay. Therefore, the process of him being made perfect was not the removal of sin. Do you guys get that? It was being made perfect by reaching the goal. Wasn't the removal of sin, it was be the process of being made perfect by reaching the goal. Meaning completing the will and the work of his father. How does suffering play into this? Suffering was the means by which he became perfect and achieving the end goal of God's will. So if this is true of the sinless son of God, how much more is it true for us? How much more is it true for us, the sons that are carrying around in our own bodies a sinful nature that must be put to death on a daily basis? Now, I may raise the question, what about the altar? What about dealing with our sin? The altar is a part of our perfection. And here's what I mean. That we must rightfully deal with our sin there at the altar, and then we're able to move on to teleo, move on to being made perfect or complete by reaching the intended goal. In the structure of the tabernacle, the bronze altar was not the end goal. The end goal was the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant that was the throne of God, the establishment of his governing authority on earth. That's the goal. The perfection of sons cannot occur without suffering and difficulties. Opposition to being obedient to God's will is a certainty. That is the suffering and difficulties that we're talking about here. And this would be true even if you were completely 
sinless. Opposition is a must whenever you are being, being obedient to God's will. Your sufferings bring you to maturity because it is the means by which you learn obedience to the will of the Father. The very testing of your faith is giving you the opportunity to choose the will of the Father over your very own. This is done in an ongoing manner, meaning that you are choosing his will daily. Not just once the day that you were born again, not just another occurrence of being spirit-filled or any other major event. This is a daily habit of choosing his will over your own. Why? It's so that through that course of perseverance on a daily basis, that perseverance needs to finish the work inside of you. Therefore, making you mature and not lacking anything, just like James chapter 1 says. So let's put this together. Being made perfect through suffering shows that you are of the same stock, the same DNA, of the same family as Messiah. Come on, somebody say that's a good word. For us to start getting into our beings and into our lives, that even if you were sinless, you would still need to suffer so that you could accomplish God's will. See, the more that you think about that, the more that that's going to start to play out in your everyday life. You're going to quit looking at suffering as being a punishment. Right. It's not a punishment. It's the process. It's how you get to Amen. perfection. We get to the altar to take care of the sin in our life, and then we stand up and we get to work about being made perfect. That shows that we're of the same family as Messiah. Look at Hebrews 2.11. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. Church, when you joyfully and rightly and righteously respond to suffering, you know, that suffering that we're talking about that is caused by you being obedient to God's will. We're not talking about just a suffering that you bring upon yourself because you've been disobedient to God's will. We're talking about when you're walking in God's will and you experience difficulty, you experience suffering, you experience the frustrations of creation. It shows that you're of the exact same family as Christ. Get it. See, you're no longer trying to eliminate those moments. It is the confirmation yeah. that you have the same DNA of Christ in you. Jesus is not ashamed of you when you are suffering for doing what's right. He says, yes, you are my brother and we can see it because of your actions. So let's all turn to Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to take this a step further. Get some more insight into every layer that we're putting down. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Heard because of his reverent submission. Get this in verse 8. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. So Christ did not escape this pathway to perfection. 
Learning obedience from what is suffered was the pathway the Father established for his one and only Son. Therefore, it is the pathway for all sons of God. No one is exempt from this process. This was not an easier, uh, this wasn't any easier for him than it is for us. Did you hear that he was offering his prayers and petitions with fervent cries and with tears? And yet, he was still obedient to the will of the Father, especially in the time of suffering. So we want to give you a title for today's message. The title for today's message is Pathway to Perfection. Come on, say that with us. Pathway to Perfection. I love that in this verse it is not just submission, it is reverent submission. Not reluctant submission, reverent submission. And that is always about submitting fully to, to the will of the Father, especially when it's difficult. It's not really submission if you already want to do it. You can't tell if it's submission or not, or if you're just personally seeking what you already want. It is reverent submission when it actually gets difficult and you can really test the quality of what that submission is. Submission to what is easy and does not require difficulty is not really submission. You're just doing what you want and it also happens to align with what you're being requested. No problem. I wanted to do that anyway. What, Dad? You want me to eat a giant bowl of ice cream? I think that's a great plan. I am in submission. It is when you are told to do something different than what your will is that you actually see the level of your submission. This applies for husbands and wives. This applies for parents and children. This applies for you and, and us up here on this stage as family members together. It is when suffering that is entered into the equation, when it presses your will against his will, and you are able to see that there's a difference between your will and God's will. At that point, you have to then learn to choose God's will over your own, becoming one with his vision rather than your own comfort. This is how Jesus learned obedience. He learned obedience through the suffering. And this is how you and I are going to do it as well. Did, did that phrase in verse 8 catch you? Though he, son, though he was. Jesus, the one and only son, did not escape this process. He literally showed you that this is the process that the Father desires. Jesus learned to obey and was being made perfect. He was teleo from what he was suffering. Are you guys identifying with this pressing between your will and his will? And also recognizing the times that he does ask you to do something, and it's exactly what you wanted, but that's completely different than being asked to do something you don't want to do. And the, really, the process to perfection is encountering more and more opportunities to get rid of what you don't want to do that the Father does want to do. Well, look at verse 9, and this brings it further. And once made perfect. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So let's put this together. Jesus was made perfect. He was made perfect through his suffering and learn a perfected obedience through his suffering. 
As a result of reaching God's intended goal, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who would then obey him. He reached the end goal that the Father was pointing him towards. And now he is the one that we look to and point everyone else to, to obey him because he's reached that goal. His unity with the will of the Father would then be the source for all of mankind to join him in that unity with the Father. This requires us to learn obedience the same way he did in order to reach the same perfection that he did. We are brothers with him when we participate in this. Being made perfect was a daily effort in his life, and it is the goal of our daily lives as well. So I'm just going to re reference this for you. John 5.19 says, The son can only do what he sees his father doing. I mean, everything, every action that Jesus did was a direct obedience to what his father was doing and instructing him to do. It goes on further in chapter 5, verse 30, to say, By myself, I can do nothing. Well, that's just an impactful statement in and of itself. I only judge as I hear. So not only did he act in direct obedience to the Father, his very words were the words of the Father. He only made judgment. He only spoke as he heard his Father speaking. This is the intended goal for us. We're not exempt from this same level of obedience that Jesus had to the Father. And this is what the Father is doing in this church and in your lives and why he is cultivating in us a greater level of unity. Somebody say pathway to perfection. See, what we're talking about is a daily kind of perfection that we're going to have to walk in. It's not only something that you get to achieve when we get to a Hebrews 12 kind of in a cloud of witnesses. If you leave perfection there, you know what happens? Is you never expect to actually walk in right perfection right now. What we're talking to you today is for us as a church, us as people, to fully embrace this pathway to perfection. And as we do that, we are becoming one with him. We receive the privilege of joining with Christ in suffering so that we can join with him in perfection. We're going to join with Christ in the same perfection that he has. Jesus is both the source of eternal salvation and he is the head of the eternal priesthood and was designed by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. He is the head of the eternal priesthood that is ready to administer this salvation to each one of us. He's the high priest who has been made perfect and is making you and me perfect every single day. Turn with us to Hebrews 3. Just flip a few pages over. Hebrews 3 and verse 1. It says this. Therefore, holy brothers, who share in this heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Okay? Now stay with us here. Listen to this. The writer of Hebrews is clearly speaking to a brotherhood of believers who are experiencing the same pathway to perfection that Jesus did. He is encouraging them to maintain a daily focus. Everybody say daily focus. Daily focus. A daily focus that is centered on the model of Christ. 
directing all of their mind, all of their will, all of their emotions towards the same goal that Christ has completed. Now, church, as you fix your thoughts on Jesus, you're going to see him both as the apostle. Have you ever seen Jesus? Have you ever thought about him deeply as the apostle? See, this is what Hebrews 3 is saying. When you focus your thoughts on him, you start to understand that he is the governing authority, designated by God and sent by God to make sure that everything is being built exactly according to the blueprint, exactly according to the heavenly plan. Not only is he the apostle, I like that, the apostle. (laughs) See, Jesus didn't go around and put it on a bumper sticker. He didn't put it as his license plate, the apostle. He didn't put it on a billboard. He just is the apostle sent by God. And, somebody say and. And he's the high priest, the one who is able to make atonement for your sins as the ultimate mediator of the covenant. We are both confessing both of these messianic roles in perfect unity. A messianic role of being an apostle and a messianic role of being a high priest. And these are in perfect unity together. This same apostle and high priest is faithful to his father who appointed him. He was faithful to the work according to the plan. That exact pattern that he had received from the heavens. And Jesus was faithful to finish the work that the father gave him. Well, there's a comparison that's also happening here. The comparison between Jesus and Moses is because it involves something very specific. It involves the work of building God's house and being faithful to finish that work of building God's house. Not only is it Jesus, the Son of God, who is being made perfect by finishing the work that was set before him, but men like Moses are also able to be made perfect by completing the work that God has assigned to them. The point of this statement is that you are required to follow these same footsteps. Building according to the pattern handed to you from heaven and joining the Son of God in accomplishing the will of the Father. I'm going to read to you Exodus 25, verse 8. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. The point of building exactly like the pattern that is shown to us is so that God can have a dwelling place among us. A place for us to have commune and unity with him. So that we can be so unified with him and he with us. So overall, God's master plan is that we are all to be made perfect through suffering so that we can then be in perfect unity with him. Come on now, church. Jesus makes it very clear in the book of John, chapter 17, that this end goal of the master plan, and he's praying for all his sons who believe to be able to fulfill this exact plan. Turn with us to John 17. We're going to begin in verse 20. Somebody say, pathway to perfection as you're turning. John 17 and verse 20 says this. I do not ask for, those, for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, 
just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. John 17 gives a beautiful glimpse into Jesus' prayer life. Yeah. I mean, when you think of Jesus' prayer life, out of all the things that the disciples, the apostles asked him, they said, teach us how to pray. His prayer life was amazing. And John 17 is a summation prayer of his ministry to these disciples. He is praying for the master plan of the Father to be completed in every disciple that is before him and all of those who would believe based on what they had said. In John 17, literally, Jesus is praying for the men and women in this room. I mean, he is literally praying for Nick Rosales while he's saying this. He is praying for the men who are there with him, and he's praying for the men and women in this room. What is he praying for? That there would be a unity for the men who were there and all of us. There's got to be a unity. This unity that he is praying for, now listen to this. The unity that Christ is praying for is that we may have the same quality of unity that Christ and the Father have. Jesus is literally praying, this is just us reading the text, Verse 21, that they, all of us here in this room, it's more than that, but let's just, let's get the idea and then we can expand it here, that they may all be one, just as, in the exact same way of the Father and Jesus Christ being one. That kind of unity is the unity that Jesus Christ is praying for us to have. As you let that sit in on you, the goal is that our unity with each other is to reach the same point as his unity with the Father. Doesn't that already change what you, what you preconceived about this passage? You've read this many, many times. It's the book of John. The whole chapter's in red letters. It's Jesus' words. Of course you've read it. But what the Lord hit us with as we were studying is, Lord, I don't understand this. I thought that I did, but when I start to contemplate the exact same level of unity that Christ and the Father have together, a perfect unity, then when I think about me and any other relationship do I, that I have, this is what Jesus is praying for me about to have. Right. He wants me to have this. He wants you to have this. And we can't do it by ourselves. We have to do it together. Talk about a standard of unity. When you apply this standard of unity, think about your marriage. What kind of unity does a husband and a wife have? It is a unity that is special. We were here for a wedding yesterday. We loved it. But what kind of unity? It's got to be the same kind of unity that Christ has with God the Father. And it has to be that way every single day. Come on, husbands and wives, do we have some work to do in this area? What about within the family? Well, thinking about marriage, it just puts some practical sense to the standard of unity. Husbands, in that moment, you realize, did I just act towards my wife the way that the father acts towards the son? Wife, did I just respond to my husband the way that Jesus responds to the father? 
I mean, when you begin to look at it that way, the, it removes this whole idea, number one, that unity or peace is a cessation of hostility. That just because something isn't hostile, that there's unity and shalom there. No, the standard of unity is the Father's relationship with the Son. And is my every word, is my every action matching that same standard that he has? And no matter what corresponds between a husband and wife, between a brother, one to another, and same for you ladies, one to another. Well, they did this, and they said this, and this is what provoked me. Do you really think that would be a response from Jesus to the Father? No. In every way, the unity between them two is the standard that we're being included to achieve between our relationships with each other. And then this plays out over and over again. It plays out in your families. Parents, when you assign something to your child and you're afraid, you speak to them through fear, you're assigning a direction through fear. That's obviously not how God would do it with his son. A child that has reluctant submission, not reverent submission. See, this begins to play out in every aspect of our lives, much less when we get to joining other families with us within household or within teams. And then much le- how much more is it needed when you start moving across into ministries that are being formed? See, is anybody like me and you're keeping until now, until today, this kind of unity, this kind of perfection for when you just reach the cloud of witnesses somewhere in the sweet by and by? Isn't it? Yes, we believe this. But if you keep it far enough away, then you don't have to deal with whether you're there or not today. God is moving on this church. He is training us up, but he's got a purpose for this. There is an end goal that's in mind. There's a talio that he is working into us that we might achieve his works on earth. Like in our day, like today and every day. Church, I got to tell you that this passage is changing my heart. It is changing the way that I look at my own unity with my wife. At the instructions that I give to my children, the, the way that I think about you, the way that I interact with you, it is changing something inside of me because I've had far too low of a standard of what unity is. Do we like each other? Do I know your name? Can I see that when you walk in the door, whether you're doing good or bad, being a good pastor? No, that's not the goal. The goal is that we are in the same kind of unity. And look what this kind of unity does. When it is within us and with us in the Godhead, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This kind of unity speaks a message to the cosmos. That's the word there in the Greek, the cosmos. It starts speaking to the cosmos about the apostleship of Christ. Your unity with me. My unity with you. Our unity with each other and with the Father confirms that Christ is the apostle that we just read about. That he was sent by God and he is worthy of complete, trust-grounded obedience in every way. This is a glorious thought. Somebody say, this is glorious. glorious. Let's go on to verse 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one even as we are one. Now, put this together in in visualizing it. Jesus is saying in verse 23, I and them, 
and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. The end goal of the master builder is for us to participate in the same level of unity that Jesus had with the Father. And in order to do that, we must go through the same process that Jesus did. We must go through the process of being made perfect through suffering. In fact, the Greek word for perfectly here in this passage is the same Greek word that we defined earlier, teleo, to make perfect by reaching the intended goal, achieving with each other the same unity that Jesus had with the Father. You know, to reflect this, Jesus is preaching in Matthew 5, in verse 48. He says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. He's standing there as the mediator, and he's pointing to the end goal of what disciples are supposed to reach, and the end goal is the completion of unity with the Father. Jesus is the means by which we reach that completion, meaning the Father's perfection. So now in verse 23, Jesus says, I am them. This means that we first become unified with him in all aspects, particularly in learning obedience from what we suffer daily. The process of being made perfect as he was, and when we have perfect unity with each other, then the cosmos will know that Jesus was actually sent by the Father. And that's not all the cosmos will know. They will know that the Father loves us with the same type of love that he has for Christ. Not loving us like a son, it's much better than that, but rather the Father loving us like the one and only son. That's a big difference. Can't you see throughout the word and your own personal interaction with the Father how much he loves his one and only son? That's exactly how he loves you. The one and only son that he gave as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. The same son who became, who became the source of eternal salvation after being made perfect through suffering. So ask yourself a question. Does your unity with this body of believers reflect the perfect oneness that Jesus has with the Father? Or is there more work for you to do to reach that intended goal? More work. See, with that understanding, again, how many times have you and I read John 17 and how, much, how many times have you realized that the unity that he's talking about affords us and the entire cosmos to know that God loves us just as he loves Christ? These are beautiful, beautiful things. And Paul gives us a charge to be able to continue in this master plan that Jesus has just explained in John 17. Turn with us to Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to begin in verse 3. Say, pathway to perfection as you turn. Ephesians 4 and verse 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. 
if you understand now what the unity of the Spirit affords you, it affords you to be perfectly one with Him, perfectly one with each other, declaring to the cosmos, feeling the love of God exactly as Christ does. This kind of unity of the Spirit lets you know why it's so important that you make every effort. See, because if in light of John 17, Paul's admonition to the church in Ephesus is more meaningful. It, it, was, uh, it was lighting up my soul this week as I was looking at this and going, no wonder we're supposed to make every effort. It is to make every effort. We've got to keep the unity, the same unity with Jesus and the body of Christ as he has with the Father. Paul is saying to make every effort. If you'll remember this phrase, it is the Greek word spudazo. Come on, you can do better than that. Spudazo. I don't know that Greek people do that, but they do now. Make every effort. Put every bit of strength that you have into it. Trouble yourself to keep the unity of the Spirit. The Spirit of God will always lead you to cast off every selfish ambition, every distraction, and every amount of discord because He is leading you to unity with Jesus and the Father. After all, the following verses immediately after this, they declare that there's one body, there's one Spirit, there's one hope to which you were called, there's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism, there's one God. It's almost like He's trying to tell us something. There's one. There's only unity with God, and there is only one plan for you to be in unity with Him. You've got to make every effort to be found in perfect oneness with the one master plan. And did you see how the verse ends? It tells you how to do it. It'd be one thing if he just said, you must do this, but he's telling you how to do it. How do you make every effort? How do you keep the unity of the Spirit? You do it through the bonds of shalom. This is how you are able to get in perfect unity is that you must be connected like tendons and sinews in the body that connect each other to and through the process of right peace, of right shalom. We are able to keep the unity of the spirit as this bond of shalom is being made perfect inside of us. You guys want to see some further examples of the bond of shalom? Let's all turn to Zechariah. Chapter 6. We're going to pick up in verse 11 and we're going to read it in the NASB. Take silver and gold and make an ornate crown and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. So Zechariah here, along with Hag Haggai, are perfectly one. Haggai was a contemporary of Zechariah. And as they are prophesying to the people of Israel, they are motivating them to get back to the work of building the temple. Get them to go forward and pointing, pointing them to finish what was originally started. There had been a delay. And these two men, operating in perfect unity, were now calling the nation of Israel to get up and get back to work. In this passage, we see... Joshua, son of Jehoshadak. This is the Jeshua in the book of Ezra that we've been reading about. And that Jeshua, or Joshua, is in a team with Zerubbabel. Both of these men are commissioned to rebuild the temple. 
The word of the Lord to Zechariah was that offerings should be taken from some of those who had returned from Babylon and make a crown, an ornate crown. Notice that this is a crown given to the high priest. Well, priests and high priests don't get crowns, but this one does. And we're going to look at that further. So we're seeing a picture here of men who have collected gold and silver and made an ornate crown that Zechariah is now setting on the head of the high priest because there's something important that we're supposed to get from this. Look at verse 12. Then say to him, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold a man whose name is Branch, for he will branch out from where he is and he will build the temple of the Lord. So Zechariah, you need to tell this high priest as he's sitting there with a gold and silver ornate crown on his head, that there's a picture, there's something that is going to be happening. Behold, a man whose name is Branch. Do you see how that's got a capital B on the screen? They're trying to help you out to make sure that you know that Zechariah is talking about the Messiah, whose name is Branch, for he will branch out from where he is, and he will build the temple of the Lord. So level one of what's being said is, hey, you're sitting here as a perfect representation of the Messiah, of the branch that will be coming forth to build the house of God. You know what else is amazing about this? Somebody say level two. Level two. The next level is that they are actually speaking to a man whose God-given task is to actually rebuild the temple in his own day, a physical temple. So you get a future projection and you get a current application to it. This high priest was acting like a John 15. Jesus says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. See, he was acting as a lowercase b kind of branch here so that the temple might be built. So you're seeing a, a double, a multiple fulfillments as he's speaking. Now, what does that mean for us today? Somebody say level three. Level three. We are also part of a team that is building according to a divine plan, and we are determined to finish the work that God has given us. See, as we're looking at this, the, the, this picture gets even more beautiful in the next verse. Verse 13, yes, it is he who will build the temple of the Lord, and he who will bear the honor and sit and rule on his throne. Thus he will be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace will be between the two offices. So we're going to break this down. It is he. It is the branch. He will build. So is he a builder? Yes or no? Yes. Is he a priest? Yes. If he is sitting on his throne, doesn't that make him a king? Yes. But it's even better than just seeing separated, independent roles in the branch of Messiah. He is the priest on his throne. Well, Priests don't have thrones, but this one does. Here's what's happening. There is perfect unity between his priestly role and his kingly role. Perfect unity between the priestly role and the kingly role. So what does this mean for us? There must be perfect unity between our priestly role and kingly role with the domain that God has entrusted to us. Well, the next phrase explains this a bit further. This is a beautiful passage because you need to start thinking about what has the Lord been speaking to us as a congregation for years now. He's been perfecting our priesthood. He's been showing us how to have a perpetual priesthood. 
What is it that we've been studying and learning from the Lord is how to be kingly men, how to walk in dominion, how to cultivate, how to move through those things. He is teaching us both how to be priests and how to be kings. Why? Because he's got a house that needs to be built. He is causing these things to come into perfect unity in our body. He's been teaching on this not one time, not one day, but for years now. Why? Because you need to have a unity between a priestly function and a kingly function. Why, church? So you can accomplish the work of God. Amen. Every day of your life. Look at this last phrase. The council of peace will be between the two offices, between a priest and between the king, the priest who will sit on his throne. A perfect unity between these two. The, the word counsel there can mean plan. It's God's perfect design and pattern. There is a plan of shalom that unites priest function and king function in the yes. individual man. Of course it means Messiah. Of course it means Joshua here in this passage. Of course it's supposed to mean you and me and how we function. This bond of shalom might be another way to say it. A bond of peace between both the priest and the king. This master plan of shalom is what unites the kingship and his priestly service. Come on now, church. It is time for us to apply this in our lives. See, what God is showing us is not for us to stay in a perpetual idea of only being a priest and worrying about these things or only being a king. He's putting these things together because he wants to send us to war. He wants to send us out to battle. He's got things that we need to build because he's the master builder and he's assigned it to this house. We got to rise up and be able to do both a priestly function and a kingly function. This is what the nation of Israel was given for building their temple. We've had a directive this year. Everybody say this year. This year. For this body to build itself up in unity. To build itself up and become mature. This picture here in Zechariah 6 is showing us exactly how to accomplish it. By obtaining the counsel, the plan of shalom, God's master plan that bonds the two offices together of a priestly and a kingly role within our homes and within our households. This perfect unity of priest and king is supposed to stir us. Can y'all tell that I'm a little bit stirred up by this? I don't want to be a man who only, well, you're a pastor. I, I am not allowed to stay only in the category of priest. Man, i got to work at that, and I think that's the primary and the first. But I also must stand up and be a king. Amen. Be a king among men Amen. who leads and accomplishes God's will. For he is the king of kings. Well, what do you think he's talking about? He's talking about men who know what it is to be a priest and know what it is to be a king and unite those in one actual physical body and Amen. in one spiritual body together. Come on now, you should be stirred in your spirit because this is what this kind of revelation presents. Come on, is your spirit really getting stirred? Look how faithful God has been to us. Well, the past month or so, we've been learning about what it means to have holy masculinity. How to have that coupling of kingship and priesthood at work in our homes and our lives. And it's for the purpose of the directive that God gave us at the beginning of the year. Just being able to 
champion and espouse what God gave us at the beginning of the year is not the same as actually doing it on a daily basis. So turn with me to Haggai chapter 1 and say pathway to perfection as you turn. We're going to pick up in verse 14. And the Lord stirred up. I'll say it again. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. When God is moving upon the leadership, he is awakening them. He's raising them to action. He's agitating them unto action. And he is saying, get up and get to work. No more sitting down and taking a break from what I told you you must do and finish. Zerubbabel, he's the governor. He's the ruler. And Joshua, the high priest. Together, both of those men were stirred up to action. It begins with them. And that means that we can see that these men were acting as perfectly one. It wasn't just stirring up Zerubbabel and not Joshua. It was both men because they are unified around the relationship with Yahweh God. They were experiencing telio, the process of being made perfect by reaching the intended goal. And sufferings were a part of that. It was increasing their unity with the Father and with each other. And the evidence and testimony of their counsel of peace between them overflowed to the people to join them in the work in rebuilding the house of God. That what God begins to do in the unity of leadership is a certainty that it's going to create a gravitational pull, and the same stirring in the people that are underneath them. This awakening is to get back to the work of building, and that was the very sign of being empowered by the Spirit. You ever put that together? That the empowerment of the Spirit looks exactly like God speaking to you and saying, get off of your butt, get out of your self-pity, stand up and get back to the work of building my kingdom in your life and your house right now. You mean that God empowers us for his purposes, not for our pleasure? You mean him empowering me is not about how I feel or what I can do? It's about his kingdom, folks. It's about getting the work done. If he's given you gifts, it is for a purpose. He has empowered you because you got a job to do. Think about what Acts 13, 2 says. I'm just going to read it to you. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. In the Lord's presence, these men are denying themselves they're of their own will. They're fasting and praying. They're repenting. They're seeking the will of God. And the Spirit of God awakened them to the work. It stirred them to a work that these two men were supposed to do. You know that work, that plan, that perfectly uh, put forth pattern that God has of the master builder that he's already established. Isn't it a wicked thought for you to think that you can do this in an alternative way? Yep. That you can have your own pathway to this? 
That's ignoring that he's a master builder and he's got the plans. There's only one pathway to perfection. There is only one pathway to completing God's work. See, these men had fixed their minds on the author and perfecter of their faith. They were living as perfectly one with Jesus and each other. Now they're appointed and empowered by the Spirit of God to get to the work the Father had already established, which would teach them obedience because in the process of getting to work, you know there's going to be suffering, but it's a joyful suffering because it is a suffering for the very name and purpose of our God. Amen. Look, we're going to steamroll forward in Acts 14, verse 21. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Now, these two men, appointed and empowered for the work, they speak from a position of experience while they're encouraging, building up the churches that we must. Not we maybe. Not if, but we must go through many hardships to reach the intended goal of perfection, the kingdom of God. Look at verse 23. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and, with prayer and fasting, committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Paul and Barnabas, these apostolic fathers, set in place elders, pillars in the house of God who would uphold the truths of the gospel that they preached and help raise up fivefold ministers that would go on to complete the work of the body of Christ. Verse 24, after going through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia, and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Adaliah. From Adaliah, they sailed Back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. They were sent out to go complete it, and now they're coming back to the point of origin. That place where they were commissioned and empowered by the Spirit to start their journey, and they got the work done. The very work that the Father had pre-planned and the work that they had now completed. In that whole process, in that journey of being sent out from Antioch and returning back, they were being made perfect as they were doing the work until that work was perfect. Until it was completed. Until it had reached the intended goal. For your own studies, look at that journey of when they left Antioch and went to these very towns, how many times they suffered persecution and opposition for the name of their father. But that was the very means by which they learned obedience and could say with authority to the churches, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. When they return to Antioch here and the work is now completed, there is still more work to do. It's not the finality of their life and breath on earth. There was more being made perfect to accomplish. And from this repeated daily process, Paul was able to write in his letter to the Ephesians, the standard of how we all reach the intended goal as perfectly one together. As you're turning with us to our final passage of the day, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. But I want you to get this. Hey, church. You must be perfected now. Mm -hmm. 
there must be tasks that you engage with now and complete them. Are there some tasks that will take you on into the great cloud and only then will you be completed? Well, sure. But what is he doing in us now? What are you accomplishing for him now? What are you completing for him now? This is the perfection that he's put us on a pathway towards. Yeah. You have to understand that you've got things to do for him today. And if you did what he instructed you, then you have been perfected today. Be perfect even as your heavenly father is perfect. Accomplish his will and do it today. Well, nobody's perfect. That's a lie from hell. <laughs> Quit with your Confucian fortune cookie kind of mentality in Christianity. Be actual men and women of God and say, yes. no, I will do what God puts before me right now hey, hey. because he will empower me. And he always empowers men and women who are set on getting to the work of the kingdom. Amen. Oh, I need more power. Well, then get about the work that he's already assigned you. The power will be right there. Your, his power will meet you in that moment yes. as you're working, as you're suffering. His Amen. power, in, it comes upon you and you are stronger than ever, even though your body may feel weaker than ever. That's reverent submission. That's what it looks like to have what we are talking to you about today. It's difficult. Of course it is. It's supposed to be. That is the pathway to perfection. Look at Ephesians 4.11. So Christ himself, you know, the apostle and high priest, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, to equip his people so they can feel really good about what they can do. No, 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 no. That's another church. Wrong. That must be, <laughs> must be the message version or something here. <laughs> to equip his people for works of service. Amen. So that in this process, the body of Christ may be built up. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Come on now, church. The body is built up as the people of God finish their works of service. You should be able to look back and see that things that God has assigned to you, you have completed faithfully because he empowered you no matter what the suffering. Are there th still things on your to-do list? Of course there are. But you know what I can do is I can see the things that I have completed, the things that I have done. And in those areas, I've become perfect. I've completed it. I've reached the teleo. This is what we are aiming at. We each have daily assigned tasks by the Father, and we've got to finish them day in and day out, and day in and day out. We've got to continue to be built up according to God's master plan so that we can all be perfectly one in our faith and in our knowledge of Jesus Christ. This is not about our individual pathway to perfection. This is about all of us reaching the intended goal of perfection. Amen. There are battles ahead, and I don't just mean even figuratively. I think that this country is in store, that this church is in store for battles. Go back and listen to the prophecies that you yeah. have given on behalf of the Lord in this house. Difficult days are ahead. 
but he's teaching us how to be a priest. He's teaching us how to be a king and put them together. He's teaching us that we need each other, but not just kind of loosely need each other. We have to have and be perfectly one with each other to accomplish this. Church, this is how we're made perfect. Together, we become mature and attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Let's continue on in verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature, the complete body of him who is the head, that is Christ. And from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Every single person in this room and part of this body, you have work to do. Each one of you plays a part in accomplishing the end goal of God's will in our lives, in this church, and more importantly, setting up the next generation to continue what we have started. We won't be immature in this house. We won't be like infants unstrapped in a baby carrier rolling down the road, tossed to and fro. We are growing in maturity, growing in maturity in our emotions, in our thoughts, And more importantly, in our response to sufferings and difficulties. This is what we're going to hold each other accountable to. When there's a suffering, when there's a difficulty, we're going to inspire and encourage. And if you see that grumbling and downcast and I just want to quit spirit, grab that person's hands, lift them up to the sky, begin to inspire some joy and some perfected unity between them and the Lord and you and them. Lift them up out of the pit of despair. We will grow by having truthful speech that is firmly grounded in love, in the word, and in doing so collectively, we will grow up as one intricately connected body that in every respect is the demonstration of Christ himself. He is the one who is in us to bring us to unity. He is the one who connects and holds us together. He is the one who helps us grow and be built up in love for the express purpose of each one of us doing our daily work. It's our task. It's our assignment. And daily, we have to aim at finishing what he gives us for that day. You know what's going to revive your soul? You know what's going to resurrect your strength? It's when you get up and get back to work. You feeling bad physically? You feeling a little sick? Get up and get back to work. You feeling a little depressed, discouraged? Get up and get back to work. Because it is in that moment that he empowers you rightly and you feel his presence with you. You feel what God is doing. What exactly is the work that we're to get back to get up and get back to doing? I am so glad that you asked. We have a slide as we are closing here. You got to get to work daily. Somebody say daily. Daily. Making every effort, spudazo, to have unity with each other as the Father has with the Son. That's what you got to get about the work. 
You got to get to work daily, walking in the empowerment of the Spirit. You know that place where you are stepping forward and His Spirit comes upon you? Instead of you waiting for you to feel like you're empowered before you do it? See, we're getting to work daily, walking in the empowerment of the Spirit to do the daily task that the Father has planned for you. We got to get to work daily, finishing the task that the Father has assigned to you. And we got to get to work daily forsaking alternatives to suffering. You got to get to work at this to daily forsake alternatives to suffering in order to embrace the actual process that God has for us to be made perfect. Church, we must make every effort to be perfectly one so that we are empowered to finish the work according to God's master plan. Please stand to your feet. So good whenever God is giving us the clear direction of what we need for where we are right now as a church. He has never failed to give us clear direction and empowering us to put it into practice. So for right now, today, what this altar is going to be for, it's going to be for a place to increase unity. Here, right now, you ask God, Lord, show me, reveal to me how my unity with my family, with the family of God, is not matching the standard that you have with the Father. And empower me, help me, live up to that standard of relationships that we have. Secondly, Lord, help me, empower me to do the work. Help me realize and remember recall to my mind that stirring up to get up and get to work. Help me trust that as I get off of my laziness, that your power is going to fill me to be able to accomplish the task that I'm supposed to finish on a daily basis. And then secondly, continue to ask for that same empowerment by the Holy Ghost to finish the work on a daily basis. Not just credit yourself with an attempt, but that it may stand a credit before God because it was finished. And lastly, here at the altar, you can ask the Lord for help and encouragement of how to embrace the process of the pathway to perfection through suffering. Lord, help me have the right attitude. Help me overcome this grumbling and despair and grief of what you have already laid out as the only means to make me just as perfect as you are. So as we begin to pray, hunt, seek, charge forward to the throne of God, and I promise you he will help us all reach this perfect unity. We thank you, Lord, for your spirit and your word and work in us right now. We say, come, Lord. Let your spirit magnify, strengthen, encourage, and empower us of how to pursue and be in perfect unity with you as you are with the Son. We love you, Lord, and I pray for the hearts in this room, that the eyes of their heart will be open to understand, put into practice, and carry out this word 